0: Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Caleb Davidson. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. I'm going to title this message today, I Lost My Ship. All right? And we're going to hashtag it, but I'm not finished with you yet. And uh, we're going to be reading from a text in Acts chapter 27. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is finding himself in a bit of trouble. He's gone through uh, a bit of a storm, and he has to decide what voice he's going to believe about the storm he's about to go through. And obviously, uh, the winds, uh, he finds himself a prisoner on a ship, and the reason he's a uh, prisoner is because he's a preacher. Um, He's ticked one too many people off with this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's exceedingly shaking up cities, and so the Jews in in Jerusalem basically get him arrested and say we want to execute him for blasphemy and all these different things but being a Roman citizen he ends up appealing and saying well no you're not going to take my life and so he plays an incredible card here and he goes I'm a Roman citizen they're like wait what you're a Roman citizen he's like yeah and so I'm appealing to, to Caesar in Rome and so they're like well shoot all right fine and so Paul escapes death pending death but he is made a prisoner again and is now facing imprisonment when he gets to Rome. Paul is probably not very encouraged to face another, you know, set of prison years in front of him. He's already spent many a day in prison penning the epistles that many of us read about today. Um, You've heard about, you know, the book of Philippians. One of the, it's called the, the book of joy. It's the most joyful book, but yet it was written in the most joyless place in the midst of a prison cell in Philippi. And I think that That'll preach to many people here today who I think that you received the greatest revelations in life. Because he's known for some of his revelation, right? He's known for knowing a side of God that many of us would envy of knowing. And yet it says that Paul wrote the revelatory books of the Bible inside a prison cell, and I think that is interesting that sometimes when we feel prison, when we feel contained, that's when God is actually trying to give us treasures on the journey. I, I preached last week from Isaiah 40 a couple weeks ago, and I talked about how God gives us treasures of darkness and hidden riches in the secret places. God has hidden riches in secret places. It's like his little, you know, uh, it's like his little, uh, what's that thing where you go with the Easter egg hunt? It's like a little treasure hunt. You know what I'm saying? That God has stored for people who want to know him the bible says that it is the glory of of god to conceal a matter but the glory of kings to seek it out and to search it out i think that god loves hide and go seek i think that god loves treasure hunting um for those of you who are all into those cool movies like you know nicholas cage you know it's like the that like what is that called (laughs) national treasure you know you're like oh follow the codes and all these things this week we had the opportunity of hosting a friend of mine justin reimer in the in the city and so we went to an escape room and it was his first time ever going to an escape room and he's like, dude, I feel like I'm like Nicolas Cage right now, a national treasure. And I was like, no, it's pretty sick, right? And he go, we went to dinner after the escape room. He goes, do you think we could go back and do another one? And I was like, sure. So we did it. And next thing you know, he's walking out of the, you know, on Parliament Hill, he walks out and he sees a bus, and it's like 774. And he's like, 774, i got to remember that. <laughs> Everything now is code, you know. Everything now is looking to unlock something. But, um, you know, Paul... I think that what we discover is that sometimes, like, when you want to escape, like, those rooms in life, those terrible places, those storms, those dark nights of the soul, those hard roads, that is where God has stuffed so much treasure. You know, what's interesting is when we're in there, every time we'd, you know, follow the instructions, not our instincts, because our instincts were like, this. I think it's this, but we had to follow the instructions. Every time we'd follow these instructions in the escape room, all of a sudden, this secret, like, this, like, like a fireplace would go and slide over and it became a door. And we're like, wait, what? And we discovered a door in our discouragement. You know what I'm saying? And there's something about being in certain seasons of life where I believe God has things hidden for those who love him. And those who are in a tragic situation, those who are navigating a, a traumatic situation, there's treasure in your trouble. And I just pray that you'd be able to find him and see him in your sorrow To be able to see Christ and what he's doing in the midst of your season. And uh, in in Paul's case, he's a a preaching prisoner. And now he's going to be relocated over to Rome. Now, you got to catch this because Rome is where Paul always wanted to preach. Rome is a destination and a place where Paul dreamed of actually spreading the gospel. But it's interesting. He got what he wanted. His wish. He got his wish, but he didn't get it the way he thought he would get it. And I think that'll preach to us because I think that there's many of us who are going through life going, man, I want this dream, but how God is going about orchestrating it is by, he orchestrates his plans by frustrating ours. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Sometimes it's the weirdest things how God gets you where he wants you. You know, I think about Mary and Joseph and how, in order to fulfill prophecy for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, yeah. right? In the Christmas story, he had to frustrate their plans. He, he caused them to have to go away from up north in a different province, down to another province, and, and basically go to Judea, I think it was. And he had to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, which is was prophesied where the promised Messiah would come. But get this, in order to do it, he caused the king to say, I'm going to have a census made. So everyone had to travel from where they were to where they were from. And that is what relocated Mary in the exact place where the Messiah needed to be born. All the inns are full, shocker, right? And she has to give birth in this tower of the flock, it's called, the Dar, which is prophetic. It's really where it says the Messiah would be born. Uh, the irony of that is that he was born in a tower where the lambs for the sacrificial system were born. And is it ironic that the Lamb of God would be born in the very place where the lambs for the sacrificial system would be born? See, God has a way of frustrating your plans, and, but in essence, orchestrating his. And and in this case, Paul is getting to where he wanted to be, but not the way that he had imagined. And I think that, that that can preach true of life. I don't know if you've ever got what you wanted, but it came a lot, it was a lot harder than you thought it would be. It didn't happen the way you thought it would happen. It took longer than you thought it would take. You know, this is kind of what Paul is experiencing. And... Uh, Paul finds himself on the ship with 275 other passengers, convicts. It's a convoy of convicts. And basically what happens is he is making his way to Rome. And um, on the journey, it says that winds, the winds blowing against their ship were blowing contrary to them. The sailors were having a difficult time. Paul's on board ship. And... uh, there's got to be a part of this guy that can't believe he's facing prison again. I mean, he's got to stand trial before Caesar. He's not on a cruise ship as the royal, on the Royal Caribbean here, guys. He's not going to roam on a wine-tasting, cheese-eating tour here, right? <laughs> that would be nice. He's not, he, he's actually chained as a prisoner. And if it wasn't bad enough, he's now got to face a storm on this ship. And this is where we begin in verse 7. It says that, in verse 7, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving in Snidus. And the wind when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Simone. I'm gonna call it salmon because it seems tasty. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had now grown and become dangerous. I think it's, I think one of the first things I wanna teach us here today, if this would be all right, is that um, sometimes. In life, on the process to outworking the promises of God in your life. I don't know if you knew this, but there's promise across your life. Every single one of you have a God-ordained purpose and promise across your life. There is something specific that God put you on this earth to do. You know, you have a unique fingerprint, but equally you have a unique fingerprint, spiritually speaking. The gift set, the personality, the skill sets, the background, the circumstances, the people that you have influence with... There is uniqueness to your life that God has uniquely designed and orchestrated you to be where you are today. I believe that if you could say it like this, you've been positioned for a purpose. Some of you are here studying in Ottawa, and you thought, I'm just here in Ottawa. I'm going to Carlton University. Let's not look any deeper into it. And I don't want to be an overly spiritual, you know, spiro here today. But I came here to tell somebody here that you're much more than a studying student. You're here on assignment, and you've been positioned for a purpose. Some of you are in a workplace and you think it's just the only place I would accept your resume after the hundred that you gave. But I came here to tell you, you know, God sometimes uses rejection for redirection purposes. And so the reason that you're in that job and that workplace and you're rubbing shoulders with such and such a grant, the guy who you know, grates you, is because you've been set there to be a grace grower. You're positioned for a purpose. And there's meaning behind the mundane things that we can often look beyond. And 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 in this case, it says, on the process to outworking the promises of God in Paul's life, he's got this great promise of one day having this sense of prominence where he's going to, herald the gospel on the in one of the most influential the superpower of the day he's going to be able to speak to them and he has this idea that he's going to have this grand entry that people are going to recognize his gift that people are going to recognize his talent that people are going to recognize his influence and they're going to invite him to a table where he's going to declare the things but little does he know he's not going to get there by people making a way for him as a matter of fact he's going to get there as a prisoner he's going to go there in chains and i came here to encourage somebody here today that sometimes God uses adversity for your advancement. Sometimes resistance is exactly what you need. It's the wind that blows you off course, that catches your sails. If you learn to redirect that wind and how to respond to the winds. I came here to encourage somebody here today that this thing doesn't need to take you out. It can actually take you in. See, it looks like Paul is going in the wrong direction. It says that the winds were contrary to them. It says, if you paid attention to the verse, it says, we made slow headway for many days. It was difficult. How many of you guys know sometimes the process can seem slow? Sometimes it can feel like, am I even making any difference? Is My progress is not obvious. You look back at the end of the day and you think, what even happened today? You look back over the last year and you made res- resolutions, you made resolves, and yet you find yourself under- asking yourself, did anything even take place? My progress isn't obvious. I, if anything, my progress seems like it's been prevented. It's slow. Maybe it's a lot harder than you thought it would be when you jumped out into that business. Maybe things grew a lot more difficult than you had, you'd imagined. It says they had much difficulty. There was resistance. But how many you guys know where there is resistance, there is equally reward. There is something in the resistance that I believe that God is, or, see, you got to ask yourself, why all this resistance? Why all this difficulty? You could actually say, well, it's a, natural, it's a natural wind. But you know what's funny is in a, in a similar story, we're in John, Mark chapter 4, where Jesus is on a similar boat, not the Royal Caribbean, not Disney. This is not like where you're thinking Mickey Mouse and fun and la-la. No, he's like in the middle of a storm, asleep on a cushion, and it's interesting to me that you know, Jesus knows that his disciples are going to come under the storm, but he rebukes this storm in Mark chapter 4. He rebukes the storm because it wasn't of God's making. But how many of you guys know there are some storms that are God's making? And so you thought it was difficult. You thought it was slow. You're not making any headway. Your progress is not obvious. And look what it says. We moved along the coast, but we're, we're moving, but not at the pace that I'd like. It feels like I'm being paced, but I'm really pushing against the pace. We've moved along with much difficulty, much time had been lost. And they had this notion that, I get it, we should be much further along by now. I don't know whom I'm talking to here today. But on the process to any promise, sometimes it can feel like it's taking way longer than it ought to take. Sometimes it can feel like the process is preventing you from progress. And so, what you find is that the winds are contrary. And you know, it's funny to me sometimes the winds, you have to ask yourself is it the winds of adversity or the winds of my advancement? Is this God? Because even Jonah was disobedient before God, God on a ship. I don't know if you remember this story. And what did it say? A storm came because he was in disobedience. Sometimes God uses storms not to reject you, but to redirect you. And so it looks like you're off course. It looks like you're going in the wrong way. But could it be that you're closer than ever to your desired destination? This doesn't look, if you've ever flown, you know that the the struggle is real. Sometimes you just want to go to, you know, I just want to go to Florida, but they fly me to Washington. I'm like, but it's a lot closer just to go to Florida. But see, the only Dully's is like a hub airport, or Chicago O'Hare, there's like these hub airports where sometimes they'll fly you away from your desired destination, but what you don't realize is that you're actually getting closer to your desired destination because there's no flight patterns that travel that way. There is no direct flights. So while it looks like you're, you're, you're mad at the stewardess, you're saying, why are you guys taking me this way? This is so ridiculous. I just wanted to go there. We were closer here to there. Now I'm being taken away two hours to go another four hours when the whole trip would have been two and a half hours had you just gone direct. And so you can start to argue in your, in your own logic, in your own sense. But what you don't realize is that the closer you get taken away from where you were, the closer you are getting to where you want to be. But it doesn't always seem obvious. It doesn't always seem obvious. And in this case, Paul Is making headway, but it's coming slow with much difficulty and with much lost time. You know, sometimes there are things that remain outside our control that do not allow us to carry out our plans the way we had hoped. Here, because of some windy conditions, Paul found himself under the weather, if you will. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching to myself. And he was not permitted to carry out the course that he had charted. Because of the things outside of their control, they were forced to sail with difficulty. And as a result, much time had been lost. They were slow to make nearly any headway. And they thought they'd be somewhere else by now. They planned to be harbored at a destination far from here. But because of unforeseen circumstances that remained outside of their control, with much difficulty, they barely made any headway. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that feeling. To feel like because of a set of unforeseen circumstances, that things that remained outside of your control forced you off course and slowed you down. You may feel like uh, y- your wife should be ready already. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, babe, get ready along the way, you know what I'm saying? You, now no married people out there? Okay, I'll just move along there. Lost 50% of my audience on that one. Um, maybe it's the kids, right? You're like, Jonah, would you get your jacket on? I mean, why did I use my personal kid's name? I don't know, I said that. Would you get your pants on? Would you get your jacket on? Would you? Just, you know, you're wondering why parents come to church stressed. Some of you single people just use glaze, like, want to go somewhere? you're like, "Yeah." <laughs> yeah the struggle is real. Yeah. All right, That's an incredible thought right there. <laughs> but if it only weren't for those wins, right? Those winds of adversity, those winds of change, I thought I'd be further along right now. I thought I'd be married by 26. I thought I'd be further along by now. I thought I'd be the head of my company, but here I am, just middle management. I thought I'd be further along right now, but I thought we'd have three kids and counting, and yet here I am, warring and wrestling with infertility. I thought I'd be further along by now. At this time of, this point in my life, I thought I'd be retired, but here I am, still trying to just gain the means to retire. And I thought I'd be further along right now. I thought I'd be, you know, owning my second or third house, and yet here I am, still paying somebody else's mortgage and renting. I thought I'd be further along right now, but here I am having to redo this course that I can't seem to get past. If it weren't for those wins, if it weren't for them i'd be there by now if it weren't for those team members that continually drag their feet i'd be there by now if it weren't for that health condition that continually plagues you man that drove you off course i'd be i'd be somewhere very different right now if it weren't for my kids i'd be there i see i don't know if you guys can relate but paul these guys are being hit with a bit of a destination disease they had this destination this desired destination in mind how things ought to work out how things ought to go but my question to you is, what do you do when life doesn't go to plan? What do you do when God frustrates your plans in order to orchestrate his? Because I am a firm believer that in this story, in the context of this, I believe the assailing winds, these winds were God's design. That's sometimes God prevents our progress. And he causes us to not take the headway that we desired, and I believe that sometimes it's for a protection. Sometimes it's not to destroy you. Could I propose you is to develop you? Because when you're held back and you're being forced to wait something out, there's something, you can catch terrible things in waiting rooms. In the waiting rooms of life, they always tell you, and they in the cough into your elbows, don't use your hands. Some of you are like, and you're wiping your face. I'm like, oh. And then you're like, good to meet you. I'm like fist bump. If I ever fist bump you, now you know why. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Partly. Howie Mandel here, at dreamer for Hope, you know. Like, uh, but the truth is, is that maybe, could I propose to you that God, see, in the waiting rooms is where God does weighty things. It's where he begins to I, I talked about it last week. Sometimes he blinds you in order to bless you. It's, it's where he caused you to have to dig. you got to dig into your convictions and know, how am I going to wait this out? How am I, I going to navigate, if you will, it's using some nautical language here, how am I going to navigate the waiting rooms? So these guys were impatient, right? These guys are like, man, we want to be in Phoenix by now right, Brock? They want to be in Phoenix. I don't know where Brock is. Where is he? He left. He's somewhere. Yeah, he's good. He wants to be in Phoenix right now, and, and yet they find themselves in a place called Fair Havens, and because it says it was late in the sailing season, and that hashtag winter is coming, goat fans out there, come on, and uh, it says that they find themselves having to turn in into winter in an undesirable destination, but they want a Phoenix. It was much more favorable it was a much great it had better pubs and better clubs you know what i'm saying it had a better port it had a better harbor and and so they say you know what i i don't want to stay here and so there's this you see when when you've lost your ship there's the first point i want to make is there's the warring in in the process to a promise there is this there is this if you guys can go to my first point the warring no go back the warring this is great though this is these are points but not there there you go and I, i came here to tell you that god's delays are not god's denials that sometimes it's in the waiting rooms where God does weighty stuff. And that he actually wants to see what is inside you. He wants to see what you're made of. And, and so he causes you to wait and he holds you back. And sometimes it's in his providence. Sometimes it's for your protection. Sometimes it's for your preparation. This, these waiting rooms are a time where he's like, just, just follow my time. But if you've ever been impatient and you've ever wanted to make the dream come about a little bit faster than you ought, then maybe you, you know what it's like to find yourself in this situation. Paul says, don't don't run ahead of God on this one, guys. Paul warned them. He says, "Men, I can see that your voyage, if you go forward, if you press on, it's gonna end in disaster. It's gonna bring great loss to ship and cargo. Verse 10, enter your own lives also. You guys got some water there I can have? Um, But the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, get this, instead of listening to Paul, he, he turns to the owner of the ship and to the pilot. I mean, who is Paul. Can we be there? Can we, can we go there? Who the heck is Paul? You're some preacher. Isn't it just like preachers to think they know everything? What do you know about sailing, Paul? You're a preacher and a tent maker at that. This isn't even your trade or your skill set. What do you know? We're going to listen to the professionals because that makes sense. We're not going to listen to the convicts. We don't even know whether you're guilty or not. But the reality is, is that the centurion hears Paul, but he says, listened to what Paul said, but rather followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on and set sail, hoping that, to reach Phoenix and winter there. Wow. Now the reason this is so interesting to me is because that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to me that Paul would listen, or that the centurion, by the name of Julius, the, uh, of the Royal Regiment from Rome, yeah. that he would listen to to the pilot and to the, to, the pro- to the professionals, really. I guess you could say it like this, they listen to the pros rather than the cons. Yeah. But the real question is, is that you gotta ask yourself, what do you do when life doesn't go to plan? What do you do when you're, you're forced to stay stuck in a situation that is less than desirable? Do you pace yourself or do you push yourself? Yeah. See, I know some of you in your ego, you're like, I can't be seen in this place. This, is, this doesn't look good on me. And so what I'm going to do is i got to keep that impressing look going on. So I'm going to make sure that my Instagram and my filters and all, my, all my, my angles are just right to make it look like i got a crowd behind me, that I'm very successful That I've I've got this profit margin, that I'm hanging out with these people, and I got to look impressive, even though my life is far from impressive. Even though, you know, when we're honest, if people could only see your behind the scenes and not your highlight reel, maybe they would be, they'd see something a little bit different. They'd recognize that the health of your life doesn't necessarily reflect the, uh, you know, the image that you're portraying to people. And so, what we often do is in our ego, rather than listening. To the voice of Paul, which really in this case for us would represent the wisdom and the voice of God. Rather than listen to the instructions of the Word of God, we listen to our instincts rather than the instructions. My instinct says though, my ego says, I can't be found here. I don't want to stay here. This is not a good spot. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. I would rather look way more impressive and have the comforts and all these things. But sometimes you see, it's in that tension that God does the growing. And so Paul levels the warning. There's the warning, but then there's the warning. And the warning comes, he says, guys, this is going to end in damage and loss. And because they're delayed and now detained, they determine their course of action. And rather than listening to the voice of the, uh, you know, weigh out the cons, they favor the pros. And my question to you is, what voice is leading your life? Because the voices in your life, I've discovered, affect and determine the choices of your life. You know in Exodus 18 Moses was rebuked by his father-in-law because he was listening to everybody's opinion. And he goes in Exodus 18, I think it's verse 21, 19, uh, 18, 19, he says, you've been listening to everybody else, now listen to me. See there's godly advice and there's good advice. I wonder who it is that you go to for counsel because your counsel always determines your course. Can I, can I advise somebody here today? There are, There's people who have good advice and there's people who have godly advice. When you look at their life, ask yourself, do I want to look like them? Do I want to talk like them? Do I want to be like them? Ask yourself. When you go to advice, just ask yourself, do I want their life in any way, shape, or form? Because what I've learned is that sometimes we, the voices in our life become the vices of our life because we've been hanging out and leaning into the wrong voices far too many times and for far too long now that we get distracted and pulled away from God. And this is why I think what happens, because what we do is we think, oh, that seems sound, that seems sensical, that looks and sounds like good advice. And so because it's good, we equally create, it must be synonymous with God. Because what we've done in our immaturity as the people of God is said, good must be God. But can I propose to you that, Adam and Eve were deceived on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not by the evil side, but by the good side. See, we often think the enemy is going to try to deceive us by saying, Don't follow God! He's wicked, wretched! The church is evil, toxic! You know, like it's going to be this outwardly criticizing, you know, thing that's going to be so obvious. But could I propose to you that why does the Bible say to us in the book of Hebrews that we need to discern between good and evil? Isn't good obvious? If we have to discern between both good and evil, then good would be obvious, wouldn't it? No, see, that's the point. It's not always obvious. Sometimes good is actually evil. Because in the case of Adam and Eve, the, Satan himself used good to deceive them from God. See, you will be, God knows that if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Eve, and you, you taste of its fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. What was the whole pursuit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that caused them to fall into sin? That they could become more like God. So the, the pursuit was good. I want to be more God-like, don't you? But the problem was, they didn't realize that they were already, according to Genesis 1, not Genesis 3 where he's doing this, Genesis 1.26 says, you've already been made completely in his image and in his likeness. You can't become more of like him when you're already fully like him. But the enemy goes in your ear and will always try to tell you that you need to be more like God. And so it seems like a good pursuit, but it's a fruitless pursuit because you can't become more of who God is when you're all— See, that's why the Bible doesn't tell us to work on our salvation. It tells us to work out our salvation because it is already completed. You already look just like Jesus. But the problem is that some of us don't believe that just fully yet. We think that we still got some work to do. And practically speaking, maybe you don't always get it. But spiritually speaking, you understand your spirit is already made complete. And now it's about working it out, not working on it. This is not something you achieve. It's something you receive. And so the bottom line is, it was good that was given in exchange for God in this scenario. And they forfeited everything they had with God on account of this pursuit of good. Because sometimes what I've learned is that it may look good from far well, when you get in it, it's far from good. I mean, they told you not to date that guy, didn't they? I mean, he looked so good from far, right, ladies? He said all the right things. He says, I looked, and I saw that this tree was desirable. You know what I'm saying? It looked pleasant and, and good to the eye. You know what I'm saying? And they told you not to date him, and you said yummy, yummy. Now there's a human being growing in your tummy. You know what I'm saying? Did I say that? I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know they told you, it looked so good. It looked like a good idea to move in together. We stood to st- we stood to save so much money. If we merged our money together, we we could put all this stuff, together. man, we could get we could get ahead. It looked good, but it Don't look like God. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. No, but for real, I'm actually not judging, for real. You do you, boo, okay? But I'm just saying sometimes it looks good, and it ends in heartache and heartbreak, and it looked good. Didn't it, guys? This guy, no, baby, he's going to open it up for us. It's going to be an incredible business deal. But your wife's discernment was like, don't trust this guy with a 10-foot pole. But you're like, no, look at the fine. Look at these checks coming in with this guy. He showed us the checks. Look at this. It looks so good. And she, with her wisdom and her discernment, come on, fellas, there's a reason that she's sitting next to you. (laughs) Because sometimes you're so stupid, you can't even see the light from the, the tree, you know what I'm saying? You know the saying, whatever that saying is, the trees from the forest, you know what I'm saying? And... You just got dolab dollar bills. You've been blinded by something, but she's not blinded. Yeah. She sees right through it, and it looks so good. But you discovered on the other side: don't hit your wife's, don't hit your, your husband, ladies, don't hit him. Don't look at him, just look at me. <laughs> You're out tons of money right now, aren't you? You're just trying to scrape by and get ahead now because the truth is just trying to dig out of the hole that, that has been created. It looks so good. Man, it looked so good to get that treatment. It looked like a good idea, but it ended up biting me. It looked so good to jump into that opportunity. It looks so good to go to that school. It looks so good to take out that mortgage rate at that thing at the time. It looks so good to start that location. You know what Proverbs 14 12 says there is a way that seems good to a man. But in the end it leads, it's a way to death. It looks good, but it's not God. And I think that that's where we have to have the instructions of the Word of God and build it. Because it's not my way, it's, it's His Word, not my... His name's Yahweh. Yeah. Yahweh, God, because it's Yahweh, not my way. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's build it God's way. Because I, I, here's the thing we need to get to settle. I get it that you think you know best, but that's only because... You, I, what I've learned is that my greatest mistakes have often only shed light on my greatest mistrust. See, because I don't trust that God is actually working towards my betterment, that he has my best interest at heart, that I don't believe in. So when it doesn't come in my timeline or my time frame, when it doesn't come the way I want it, how I want it, when it takes longer than I think it should, I sometimes can go, God, I'm just going to you didn't see that? Ugh. See, I did that for you. Just wanted to make that door open a bit. You weren't going to open that? Just, Ugh, sweet. And he goes, all right, fine. You want to go through that? Go through it. You know what I think about? Abraham and Sarah. You're going to have a promised son. But it didn't come on their timeline, did it? Man, God, when I was 50, that made sense, that promise. When I was 70, I started to get a little desperate. When I was 99, I was no longer desperate, I was despairing. And now you're making me nail-bite. And so what happens is, is that Abraham listens to a voice in his life. A voice of reason, but not of revelation. And watch what he says. His wife says, hey, you're going to go take my concubine, Hagar, and you're going to pay a little conjugal visit, and you're going to go make me a son, because the way God's going to obviously make, what he meant was he's going to give us a son through Hagar. And so you got to understand, Abraham finds himself between a rock and a hard place. Okay, what do you want me to say right now? Uh, you know, he's got one woman and another woman in the other area. He's like, okay, wait, what? Uh, He goes, if you say so, you know, and, but get this, he goes and they have a a baby boy, his name's Ishmael, but now as that baby boy, uh, and uh, Ishmael and Hagar, his mom, are raised up in the same house as Sarah, she ends up hating Hagar and Ishmael, she ends up having total, like, she's like, man, I don't know if she thought by doing this that somehow it would be unsuccessful and that God would see that, yeah, but no, it was successful, She pounded a door down, and God was like, fine. I'll let you walk through it. And her greatest mistake only revealed her greatest mistrust. That she wasn't willing to trust God on his timing, to trust God through the transition, to trust God through the tragedy, trust God through the trouble. It was, when it got troublesome, when it got to that point where this is impossible for, see, and I think that sometimes God waits because he wants to do something weighty, but he waits till it's too far gone because he wants you to know something. Over and over again in the Bible, I hear God say a statement to the, the Israelites. I did this so that you might know that I am God. Or the Dead Sea, you know, at the, the dead end, at the Red Sea. Hey, lift your hand, do this thing. And he goes, be still and know that I am God. See, God wants you to know something. He wants you to know who he is. And sometimes the greatest way of revealing who he is is going to be by wrecking your life. Shipwrecking that thing in your life. So he allows you to make the mistake. In his his grace, in his his sovereignty, he allows you to go through doors that were less than desirable for you. It's going to end up with damage and loss. Every time I've ever gone ahead of God, every time I've ever done something that God had promised but I took it upon myself, it's always ended up with a measure of damage and loss in my life. And so what happens is, they go through this door, and God allows them. He goes, man, I'm not going to stop biology. I already put it into motion. One plus two equals three. You know, this is how it's going to go. And so, well, now you guys got another son. Slow clap. Proud of you. And, but then, see, this son ends up bringing so much trouble into Abraham's life. He loves him now, and he's got a dilemma. He loves him so much, but he doesn't know what to do because Sarah now wants them out of the house, but then he's got to part ways with his son. This is a blood son for him, so he loves this kid. Even though it's not with his, his wife, he loves the, the boy. And so what happens is Sarah forces him out of the house along with his, wife, uh, his, his mom, Hagar, and it says all this trouble came on his life that could have been, that could have been avoided. Paul, in this case, says, hey guys, it looks good. It looks good from far, but I'm telling you, it's going to end up far from good. Don't do it. And so they insist, however, on going forward in it. And sometimes I think that when we listen to our instincts rather than the instructions of God's word, we find ourselves navigating damage and loss in our lives. Look at this. It says, Genesis 21, verse 2, though, 1 and 2, it says, And a year later, Sarah bore a son. the Lord visited Sarah and he had, as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as He had spoken. Don't this, In other words, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Sarah. I'm going to do it, Paul. I'm going to do it, you guys. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in, her old, in his old age and set the time and at the time of which God had spoken to him. Can I just say, when Sarah heard the words that you're going to conceive a son in your old age, guess what? That was inconceivable. That was an impossibility at that point. And that's the point. Sometimes God waits it out to where that ship has sailed, where it looks like you missed the boat. You mi- and you're going to have to stay stuck. And you're going to think, what? And so what you're going to do is you're going to jump on an opportunity because you're impatient. You think that y- you've missed it. And sometimes God would say to you, no, you didn't miss the boat. I came here to show you the revelation that it's not the boat that you need. You put all your faith in a boat. And so if you miss the boat, you've missed your chance. But that's not what God is trying to say. He's trying to say, so you know what i got to do? I'm going to have to shipwreck this boat. I'm going to have to break the boat. I'm going to have to shatter this boat. Because you put too much stock in this boat. And so, because the revelation is it's not the boat that keeps you afloat. And so sometimes God has to um, rock your boat. And so what happens is it says, the wreck happens. Paul was right. They kept sailing along. They refused to stop. And verse 14 picks up and says that a very long wind hurricane force called the Northeaster stepped down on, from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and it could not head into the wind. So they gave way to it and were driven along. The Northeaster. There's a wind coming from the north and a wind coming from the east that creates a hurricane type storm from, called the Northeaster. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've ventured out into something that looked good than only. It looked. It says they had a gentle wind and so they saw their opportunity and they set sail. And I don't know if you ever had an opportunity that looked good and you set sail and you endeavored into it only to feel like months down the road, weeks down the road, a year or two down the road, all of a sudden the storm came from every side. It was coming from many different angles and many different locations and it was coming in and beating against your boat from every single side. This is Paul. And that phrase is so descriptive driven along, isn't it? They gave way to it. There was a point where they couldn't fight it anymore. They didn't have the, stre- the strength. They didn't have the knowethall. all. They didn't have the capability to, to, with, to, you know, to withstand this storm. And so it says they gave way to it. And that's how a lot of us feel and live our lives. Driven along when the thought of panic comes, we just go with it. When that fear comes, you just you take it right to the end. You just driven along and you go with it. When that thought of worry comes, you go with it. When that fear of rejection comes, you clam up and you go with it. You know, the scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. And when we talk about that verse, at the very end of the sermon, time permitting, but I want to speak to somebody who's been driven along by the winds and the waves of your life, by the feelings and the emotions of fear, by the thoughts of anxiety that are keeping you up at night, that have you so nervous, you're playing out scenarios over and over again in your mind, just driven along. Just driven along. Driven along. Your boat is been battered. Your hope has been shattered. You're driven along. You used to have a passion, but now you haven't fed your passion in forever. As a matter of fact, it says in the scriptures that they begin to throw their cargo and their food overboard to lighten the ship so that I would not run aground. It says in verse 17, if the guys want to put it up, but it says that they started to undergird their ship with a bunch of ropes in case of, just kind of, they're trying to almost read the situation, like we're going to go down, so we got to brace ourselves. Sometimes you do all you can to hold your ship together. And in this case, they were doing everything in their own natural ability to hold it together. See, what I've learned about life is that the voices in your life affect the choice in your life, but you have the freedom of choice, but you do not have the freedom of consequence. Consequences are inevitable. The Bible says it. I get it in 1 Corinthians, it says that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I love that we live in a grace age where God isn't looking at our do's and our don'ts. God isn't, like, judging us behind, upon what we did or we didn't do, whether we have or we haven't. He says, do whatever you want, but let this rule your life. Let it, let love rule your life. Because while all things are permissible, you can do whatever you want. Not all things are beneficial. Can I say it like this? You have the freedom of choice, but you do not have the freedom of consequence. They told you not to date that guy. They told you not to date that girl. They told you not to do that business deal. And now guess what you're living in? The consequences. I lost my ship. This ship's going down. What do you do when God starts to take take you down? What do you do when things start to break apart in your life? You can't even function correctly. You can't even give yourself fully to the people who are around you and who love you because you're so worried about losing them that you can't even interact with them. You're driven along by a spirit of fear. You're driven along through life. You don't really have an anchor in anything, just driven along. You're just always watching out for what's going to happen next. There's this fine line between precaution and paranoia, and some some of you here today are crossing that line. We've just been driven along because the winds are contrary. So it says they were driven along by the winds and the waves. Verse 16 says, we passed the lee of small uh, island called Arcata, and we were hardly, hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. Everything's unstable. Life just feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? It feels unstable in the storm, and you do your best to hold it together. But what do you do when you're trying to hold together the very thing that God's trying to break apart? See, because this is what I know about transition. that when God sometimes transitions you into the more that he has for you, it doesn't always come about in the way you thought it would. It might be a little bit more harder, It might be more difficult than you think it is. It might take a little bit more time than you thought it would. And here's what I also know. is that sometimes the things that you hold really tight to, God wants to break apart because he wants to establish the hope of his calling. He wants you to understand that your hope is not in the boat. That to not rely on a supply that is not him. Sometimes God has to break your systems of dependence to free you. Because you're held prisoner to the boat. See, Paul was a prisoner on the boat. But watch this. Paul was a prisoner to the boat. He was, he was held prisoner I think Some of you are held prisoner to the fears of what would happen if I lost this thing. And so Paul says this in the, in, in the verse. He says to them, he says, "Men, I perceive... You should have listened to my advice. Here we are. I told you so. Like, does anybody else right there want to just, like, slap Paul? Don't you just hate those people? That's just like the church, isn't it? Come up to you. Are you down? Sweet. Poof. It's like, let's not be that people. Let's not be those people that kick people when they're down. Let's not remind people of the reason that they're in their, their, of the reason that they're in their They're, you know, this storm right now. Let's not remind people of, of the reason that their kids are misbehaving. You know, let me give you a reason. This is why your kids are like this, if you would only do such and such a thing. This is why your business is where it is. Because if you, and we always want to give, a reason to our calamities. And Paul starts to do that, but what he needed to do is not give them a reason, but give them Reassurance. That though you're here, he says, man, you should have listened to me. It didn't have to go down like this. It did not have to go down like this. But he says, but keep up your courage, men. For an angel of the Lord visited me last night. And he told me that Paul, you must, oh, okay, good. But, but after a long absence from food, then Paul said, man, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred the disaster and loss. Next verse. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. How many of you guys know there's good news and there's bad news? There's good news and there's bad news. There are consequences to our actions. However, I came here to encourage somebody who could have avoided that situation. Somebody who really blew it. You see what I did there? The wind had blown them off course. Who really blew it. Somebody who really messed up. Somebody who made a mistake and you went with your gut rather than with with Jesus on this one. Who went with your instincts rather than the instructions of God's Word. Who went with your way rather than the Word who went with what made sense and what looked good rather than God. I came here to tell somebody today that you can keep up your courage, man. You can keep up your courage, ladies, because there will be no loss of life. You may lose the ship. And you may lose your ship. It may come and it may go. But watch what he says next. He says, but now. But now, I urge you to take heart. It says, and now in this verse, but it says, but now in my version. But now. But now. But now. You messed it up. You failed. You, you blew it. But now, the Bible says. But now. That's a pivot. I don't know if you saw that. But now. I want you to know something. That, that was then, but this is now. But now. You have an opportunity before you. I get it. You could have avoided that. That could have been prevented. But check this out. God is a God who understands that there's warring. There's a warning. There is a wreck. But how many of you guys know there's a, Reconciling. Go to the next, the next point. And, and there's a reconciling. The Romans 8 28 says that my God is a God who works all things together for the good of those who are who love him, who are those who are called according to his purpose. My God works all things together for the to the do you see that? All things together for the good. Not not the things that I do right. But literally anything the enemy throws at me, anything I dish up. God can turn it and work it for my good. That means even my mistakes, even my failures, even when I've blown it, even when I've messed up, even when I thought man I could have been avoided, that could have been prevented. How many of you guys know though it could have been prevented, it has only now provided God an opportunity to show you who He is. And so that is, this is what my point is. It's like so while you're so busy telling God what you're not, He's trying to establish who He is. And that's the point, is that He is not interested in what you have not, and what you do not, and what you, uh, you are not. He is interested in who He is, and that is the revelation He wants to give you. That I am good, that I am merciful, that I give grace. That He works all things, even the good, the bad, the ugly of my life, into the good, and works toward the good of those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. See, His purpose still remains. So it may come and it may go. But my purpose remains. Here's what I want to understand. When Joseph, when Joseph was thrown into slavery, his brothers with an evil plotting and cunning plots sold them into slavery to the Ishmaelites. Ishmael. Abraham. That was his mistake, wasn't it? And yet, God delivered just a couple generations later one of the men who'd be responsible for the lineage of Jesus himself. He'd be taken in by the mistakes of Abraham. And God would turn the mistake and work it toward the good to house a miracle. And it says that Joseph was sold into slavery, and check this out, at the end where he's brought into Pharaoh in Egypt, and he's made like the, the, you know, the governor of Egypt, and he's put as a second in command his brothers, because there's a deep famine all across the the earth, that says they all came to Egypt where they had stored storehouses, because Joseph got the, he got a little bit of the blueprints of this whole thing going down before it happened. And so what happened was they ended up saving seven years of food to last them for seven years of famine. And everyone was, was held and Everyone was saved as a result of Joseph's wisdom. But get this, there, his brothers that once sold him into slavery had to travel to, and pilgrim, as pilgrims, to, to Egypt to get food. And what happens is, he, they end up standing in front of Joseph, but they don't recognize him because he's much older in age. It's like 15 years later. And he recognizes his brothers, and he weeps in front of them. And he goes, you guys, see I told you my dream when I was a kid. Where I said, I, all you guys would be bowing down to me. And that's why you sold me into slavery. But here you are bowing down to me. It came fulfilled, not the way that I thought it would. I went as a prisoner, you see. Jesus came as a captive. Oh, even though he's our captain, he came as a captive. And it says that Joseph stood before them. He goes, and he said these really powerful words. He says, you meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. I have a question to you guys. Which one is it? Was it them or was it God? Was it evil or was it good? Which one? I think that's where your faith gets to decide. See? His interpretation, his translation of the events was, okay you know what? You did mean this for evil for me, but God used it. He works all things together for the good. He works all things together for the good. And so while it didn't originate in his hands, this wasn't in his intent toward my life. While this thing, when their plot against you, while that false accusation was not born in God's heart toward you, I want you to know something. That God will use even your adversity for your advancement. That God can turn that lemon into lemonade and refresh you. He has a way of reworking and rerouting. I I don't know if you guys have ever taken a GPS system before. I don't know if you've ever used that in your car. And you, I don't know if you've ever Done this, but it doesn't matter how many wrong turns I take on that stupid thing. That woman, she never loses her cool. She always keeps it calm and collected, and she goes, recalculating, recalculating in 50 yards, turn right. In 50 yards, turn turn right now. And I'm like, oh shoot, I miss it. And she's like, recalculating. And it may take me a little bit longer to get there now. It, I might suffer some a little bit of damage along the way, but how many of you guys know that God is just rerouting your mistakes and turning them into a the miracle? Paul said, men, take courage, because my God visited me in the night last night. And how many of you guys know what he said to him? He says, Man, he said that I must stand trial before Caesar, and that God has granted not only you, Paul, but all those who sail with you, there will be no loss of life. Only the ship. How many you guys know that he says this, he says, so men take courage because I have faith in God that it will happen just as he said it to me, that it will happen just as he told me. It's going to happen for you. See it, it may happen, it may go down terribly, but friend, rest assured, it will still happen. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, recalculating, recalculating in 50 days, turn right. Recalculating today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Recalculating today is the day of salvation. Recalculating, but now take courage because that was then. And this is now. You made have made a mess. And this thing might, might be a wreck. But I came here to tell you that God can reconcile your wreck. That he can make something beautiful from something that looks. I, I like to say it like this. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Since we're staying nautical here today. I came here to tell you that God can make a treasure out of your trash. That He looks at your mistake and He says, I can work with that. I can repurpose that. I can rework that. I can reroute that. It doesn't matter how far you've come, what you did or what you didn't do. I believe that Jesus is here to remind somebody that it will happen. Can I give you three treasures, pieces of treasure for your transition? Three pieces of treasure for your transition and we'll end. Three pieces of treasure for your transition. Here it is. Paul said, an angel of the Lord visited me last night. That means God, an angel of the Lord, he said, stood with me. God stands with you in the storm. Number one, the treasure is that God's presence never leaves you nor forsakes you. You may forget Him, but He will not forsake you. He is always with you friend. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. God is with you. And He stands with you in the storm. Number two, he says, Paul. Don't be afraid, because you must stand trial before Caesar. See, I can't die in this trial because God has another one in front of me. You see what I'm saying? He was going through a trial, but he had a much greater trial ahead that he was going to use. God was going to use the trial to talk about who he is to the authorities of Rome. How best to get a seat at the table and be right before the authorities of Rome than to come in as a convict full of conviction. We need to be led by our convictions. And understand that God's presence will never leave us, never forsake us. That God's purpose, see Paul you must stand trial before Caesar. I still have greater purpose than you. This is not going to take you out. I get it. They failed. You blew it. This is, you know, all these guys put you in this circumstance. How many guys have ever been in a storm of somebody else's making? This is Paul's scenario. He tried to warn them but they wrecked it. But God can reconcile it. And it says that, he says to them, hey man, don't worry. you got a greater trial ahead. God's purpose still remains. And the last thing he says, I will grant you all the sailors who are with you, you must go and meet, reach Rome. There is a promise. There is a presence. There's this purpose. And there is this promise that you will surely make it. So Paul, the ship goes down. These guys are terrified. They like wash up on shore. And they get there. And we'll end here. I, I get it. I, I take a little time here. I, I feel like this message has been floating for me this week because of my sickness, so forgive me guys. But where, where it ends up is they, re- they end up in Malta, okay? And they're shown unusual kindness. You know what Malta means? It means honey sweet. It means a place where there's a lot of bees, where that produce honey bees there. And it's a place that produces a lot of honey. And it meant sweet. How many guys know there's something sweet that God wants to give you in the midst of a very souring situation? God lands them on Malta, and the the people group there, they were they called them barbarians in the original language because they didn't speak their language. How many guys know sometimes in our mistakes we end up in very unfamiliar places, in an uncertain place, in a place that is unfamiliar, unknown to us. We don't speak its language. This is all, I, I never had a grid for this, right, babe? And how many of you guys have ever been on Malta before in that unfamiliar place? You've ever landed in a place where you're like, man, this is weird, but it's good. They're showing me kindness. And so, Paul, in this moment, he begins to help the people. They're getting, they're, they take all 276 passengers aboard the, the ship and they begin to make a fire. By, to get them warm because it's now cold and they're wet and they just want to warm themselves. So Paul's gathering firewood to help the people make the fire. And get this. Get this. Like, I mean, for reals. He goes to put the fi- the wood in the fire and the heat of the fire causes a viper to lash out and fasten to his hand. And you got to be like, what? And so in front of God and everybody, this viper's literally fastened and locked itself to his hand in front of everyone. Well, the tribal people, the barbarians, these people that are... Uh, the home, Malt is their home. They look at him and said, God surely didn't spare this wicked murderer from what he survived in the sea. He wanted him dead. And so they, they watch him and they said he must be. Isn't it amazing how some people love to judge your journey? Isn't it amazing how people have to criticize you in your crisis? And they love to ascribe a reason to what you're going through. You don't need a reason. Can I just say that sometimes life happens. Paul, in this case, can we accurately put it? Can I just put this out there? He did nothing wrong. And some of you guys are looking at other people, other businesses, other family members, and you're judging their journey, think I know why this happened. Because you have an incomplete picture of what people said to you. And so now you find yourself in the judgment seat, playing God for a day, and ascribing reasons and purpose to why they're they're, they're experiencing so much pain. You start to ascribe so much judgment to their journey. Can I, can I just, watch this. It says, and immediately it says, it says, when they said he must be a murderer. I don't know if that's up there. You guys can get that next verse. It says, they watched him to see if his hand would swell up and that he would drop dead. And guess what happens? Paul doesn't drop dead. As a matter of fact, he just shakes off the snake. How the heck was he so calm and collected? How the heck did Paul not freak out and think, oh my gosh, that's it. This is surely going to take me out. You see, because if the shipwreck didn't kill me. God already told me that I must stand trial in, in Rome. So that means, not only then can I equally, just I can apply this message to the, the shipwreck, but now I can equally apply that message to this snake. And I can shake this snake right off. And I don't even have to worry about it affecting me. See, because my faith doesn't prevent me from getting bit, you guys. Your faith is not going to prevent you from getting bit, but it will prevent you from getting bitter. you got to be able to understand that the Word of God is the thing that will sustain you. Peter walked on a word. Some of you need to begin to trust the word that is over your life, to no matter what comes against you, that God will use it. And watch this. The thing that bit Paul on the hand, it says they, they were just watching. Six months I give them and they won't be here anymore. Come on. They come in hot man. Look at this guy in our business. I give him three weeks. And they're just, they're just timing. They're watching, aren't they? Just waiting for you to drop. They, they saw you start that business, right Heather? They saw you start that business, right, Isaiah? They saw you start that thing and they're just waiting, come on, yeah surely this isn't going to go well, this is going to fail. And yet when they don't look at it, it says they change their minds, It's not just like people? People change their minds on a dime. And they change their minds, and what did it say about Paul? It says, it says, he must be a God. Of course he's a God now. From murderer to a God. And that is why you should never let the opinions of men be a snare in your life. Because one second they love you, and the next second they're saying crucify him. They're saying he's the Messiah, and now they're saying he's the devil. Come on somebody. People's opinion can come and it can go. It can change. And in a moment it says that God used the, the bite. Not to grow him bitter, but to grow him better. He got invited into the chief's house of this tribal group. And Publius' dad was sick. Publius had a problem. And it says that Publius brought his dad before Paul, and he prayed for him, and he was healed instantly. My point is, guys, is that Paul, everything that was thrown at Paul, God used to advance him. Everything that is thrown at your life, when you understand that his presence is with you, his purpose remains, and his promise is still pending. That, Father, I pray that you would show your people that no matter what it is, that, God, you are with them. And so, Father, I may have lost my ship, but, Father, I recognize that you are not finished with me yet. That, Father, my purpose still remains. And if there's anybody here today who needs to put their faith in Jesus here this morning. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.